Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Shitty Christians. I'm your host, Zachary Allard. And I'm Michael Tabor. Michael, what do we have on Doc this week? So we do have a lot of stuff to get into. Okay. Uh, let's start with a question. Zach, how do you feel about crafts? <laughs> Would you describe yourself as a maker? I am incapable, and this is true, of cutting paper in a straight line. Yeah, yeah. Like, if I am, like, cutting something, like, anything for some reason, like, cutting out a label that I've printed out or whatever, and invariably, it looks like a border. It's just sort of, like, winding yeah, like a river. Yeah. It's a it's a trench. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Similarly, if I had known that that would be, like, the actual valuable thing you could learn in school was, like, basic <laughs> motor skills, I would have prioritized things really differently. Instead of prioritizing... Uh, Playing for the football team, being a jock, yeah, dating cool cheerleaders, <laughs> just generally being awesome, smoking weed, yeah, cigarettes, smoking hella weed, bro. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to be talking about Hobby Lobby. And before you leave, it's interesting. I promise. <laughs> They've been in the news recently over some artifacts they purchased mm. that may or may not have been theirs to own. Uh, <laughs> Are you saying that? A company run by white Americans in 2020 maybe doesn't have a right to ancient Macedonian artifacts? <laughs> How dare you? So we're going to be talking about sort of the history of Hobby Lobby. As mm -hmm. it turns out, they've been crazy for a long time. Maybe most notably for a Supreme Court decision that said that their company was allowed to have religious values. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. But first, Zach, you found a couple things for us. Let me ask you another question. How do I know who to trust? <laughs> so... I think one of the most, you know, something we've been talking about lately is that somehow in our stupid, stupid country, we have managed to take Corona and make it a wedge issue because America is incapable of having an issue not become a wedge issue. Well, yeah, I mean, the culture war just became actual war. Like, like people are now dying for the culture war currently. At least the Civil War had, like, s obvious, like, stakes and, like, cool uniforms. Now it's just don't tread on me shirts and, like, <laughs> Republican uh, legislators comparing this to the Holocaust. So I found an interesting Christianity Today article. And they were talking about... Yeah. <laughs> That's so mean. It's so rude and unnecessary. Christianity Today is perfectly whatever. I mean, it is fairly boring. Yeah. But whatever. It's it is adequate Christian news. <laughs> so they had an article about coronavirus and where even white evangelicals get their news. Where are believers looking for information on the spread of risks of COVID nineteen? Recent survey data indicates that white evangelical Protestants go to sources don't always line up with the rest of the population. So it turns out. Almost two-thirds of white evangelicals believe that President Donald Trump's response to coronavirus has been, quote, about right. Oh, uh, about right. <laughs> about right. I like the precision. 85%. <laughs> of the 85% of the time, it works every time. So, just to be clear, which parts did they think were right and which parts weren't like was it the bleach injections <laughs> or was it the this is no big deal china's got it handled or was mm -hmm. it the flip to be like actually china's super evil and is doing this intentionally to murder us like i think it's all of it except for that time that mike pence apologized for not wearing a mask at the mayo clinic oh yeah that, that they can't abide that cuck shit <laughs> It is funny, given that Pence is a lifelong, like, hardcore evangelical, but they like Trump a lot more. It's, Like, I mean, Pence was ostensibly chosen to court that vote, but in the end, what they wanted was not Pence. They did not want respectability evangelical, I mean, it's like, one bullshit. Of, it's one of my favorite, like, 
things we've talked about on this podcast. Like, Trump is what evangelicals wanted. Like, Pence is an exemplar of what they, quote-unquote, should be or what are, what they, like, claim to be or what they are Yeah, often. still monstrous, to be clear. Of like, course. No, no, no. But, like, putting a nice face on these awful values. But what they really love is Trump. They love the braying ass who's out there talking about this stuff. So, they so, trust Trump. The Trump administration was named by white evangelicals as the source they would most likely rely on for news. <laughs> what? That was followed by national news networks, local news outlets, and then public health officials were the fourth most consulted source. Oh, good. You know. The actual <laughs> experts in the so field. So, it, it's not even like Fox News or anything. Mm -hmm. It's straight up the Trump administration the Trump is the network. font of truth from which evangelical Christianity understands the world and corona. Yeah. That's horrifying. What I love about that is that means that Trump's uh, sort of like semi-daily ramblings where he talks about giving himself malaria medication and injecting other people with bleach some, is some, where Somehow people... sundowning at 11 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Negging his own head of like public, like Dr. Fauci. Oh, yeah. His that, own employee. Yeah, they're enemies now. It's... <laughs> like, and, and and that actually worked. Like, that is what white where white evangelicals are going for their news. I, I'm curious how this happened. Like, I mean, it's always been bad, but, like, it's a, it feels like a progression of bad. Well, yeah. We I... really need to go rewrite the Left Behind books so that when Nikolai <laughs> Carpathia shows up, all of Christianity is just like, hell yeah, motherfucker, let's like, roll. They... Look at this handsome devil. Look at Nicholas Carpathia fighting for the Second Amendment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Trump's ability as, like, a Yankee like obviously atheist billionaire to wholly absorb white predominantly southern rural evangelicals into his like movement is still one of the most fascinating and successful things he's accomplished him sort of positioning himself as the devil's bargain to begin with but mm -hmm. then it turns out like that's just what they wanted they, they were no always bargain to be had they were always looking for a golden toilet <laughs> Somebody start the orgy. <laughs> I mean, honestly, though, and, and I, I, I think it's amazing. And it tickles are, me. It, 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 it really, does. if you needed, we spend a lot of time diving into the nitty gritty of the problems <laughs> with evangelical culture. You know, yes. we really get in mm. there on a granular level. But this honestly makes me feel like that entire exercise is pointless. <laughs> <laughs> because we can just look at something as simple as like, hmm, who do these people trust most? Oh, Donald Trump directly. For okay. news. Burn it not, down. Not just as like their leader, not just as the guy who's going to fight for like pr unborn babies, yeah. as they would say. No, as the guy to deliver them facts. The man notoriously light on anything related to ideas or facts. Let's uh, go to him. They treat him like I treated 2006 era Stephen Colbert. Like, <laughs> it's just the only place I got any news information. Uh, still better. to something more fun yeah i want to talk i want to ask you a question michael okay. you are always asking me questions and then yelling at me for my answers yes correct michael constantly what is sexy <laughs> <laughs> 
Listen, man, I don't know what it is. I just know how to bring it back. <laughs> uh, Justin Timberlake is a much deeper voice than I remember. That's for sure. <laughs> so I found a somewhat academic missive, if you okay. will. Already concerned. From a gentleman by whom we both have encountered in the wild before. He's a professor at our favorite university, Southeastern, and he wrote an article for their journal titled, What is Sexy? Exploring the question of how a biblical ethic of worship shapes one's view of sex and sexuality. Oh, goody. Now, this is written by a gentleman by the name of Mark Lederbach. We've mentioned him before, but I think it bears repeating, Michael, what is Mark Lederbach's deal? Uh... How to even begin to answer that? Um, so to be clear, this is a guy that we've had maybe more personal dealings with yes. than anyone else that we've talked about on this podcast. Mm -hmm. In my experience, Mark Lederbach was the sort of prototypical, the er version of the middle-aged porn guy. Okay, so we've found a new guy, folks. Yeah. This is exciting. So this he is he is. One, he's always the sexuality guy. He is always yes. the dude that's talking about sex, mm -hmm. talking about his struggles with porn, talking yep. about how he like, overcame his struggles with porn. Like He is just that yep. dude. The guy at the men's breakfast who is always asking you one-on-one -on -one about if you're struggling with pornography. Yeah, like literally be like, show, show me on this doll how many times you touch your dick this week. Like <laughs> <laughs> That doll's penis makes me uncomfortable, I have to be honest. It's proportional. Deal with it. He's, he's that guy. Yeah, he, he's that dude. He's the dude that, uh, memorably, I was at some sort of conference thing he uh -huh. was doing, and he was telling a story about how his idea for the most spiritually fulfilling sex yep. uh, would be that at the point of orgasm, you would raise your hands to the air and <laughs> thank God for your orgasm. I'm sure she has to love all of this. Yeah, I. Like. it's the weirdest take on a throuple that I've seen in a hot second. Like, <laughs> like, I just can't imagine. It's the Protestant version of all those nuns who are marrying Christ. Yeah, it, it really is. I. It would be really frustrating for me if I had mm -hmm. the unfortunate, you know, role of being married to somebody like Mark Lederbach <laughs> and I put all this work put on put on the good moves yep. you know really mm -hmm. really give him the old one too yeah and then at the end of it he like raises his hands and thanks Jesus for his like orgasm it's like hey Jesus did not yeah. get into this gift Jesus outfit, did not okay? teach me these moves thank you <laughs> there were TikTok tutorials it was involved my mama is the one who gave me this <laughs> not Jesus that won't no virgin birth <laughs> So let's get into it, shall we? Yes. He begins, perhaps the question that is implicitly asked more than any other in our culture is what is sexy? <laughs> is that the question our culture asks the most? Like, I love the idea that there's like men on a street corner, women in the, in, uh, women in the stores, People of every gender. What is sexy, Michael? What is sexy? You know, my whole life is just walking down the street, looking at inanimate objects, being like, is it sexy? <laughs> this palm tree, is it sexy? I don't know. It's tall. Mm. It's thin. Mm. <laughs> Look at those fronds. Is it sexy? But is it sexy? <laughs> <laughs> just... I like that he's asking, like, like it's like, uh, what's the, what is the meaning of life? It's like, yeah, well, sexy? it's just like, I imagine his whole life is just walking through with, like, a Terminator vision, identifying things, and then rating them <laughs> on, like, a five-dick scale. Like He's just... definitely the guy that is, like, incapable of, like, 
seeing like a shape magazine checking out of Albertsons with like a woman <laughs> in a tankini and he's oh, like yeah. that is sexy but I shouldn't be looking at it. No, I mean I don't know if this is the time for it but I cannot count the number of times I have been in like a church or Sunday school and heard this like narrative about having to avert your eyes in the grocery store. Even a major network television company ran an ad campaign describing NASCAR as the most sexy sport. <laughs> I mean, that's just facts. Yeah, I mean, obviously, all the vibration. The vroom vroom. <laughs> the engine un behind you? Yeah, like, yeah. I like, what I really, when I'm gentleman? thinking about sexy sports figures, I'm definitely thinking about the ones that are encased in, you know, a couple thousand pounds of, like, you know, steel and aluminum. That's, <laughs> that's what really get, gets my gears going. <laughs> he says, it's impossible to find a definition of sexiness at the pop cultural level. Which Agree to disagree. I don't understand what he's looking for there like <laughs> yeah. why are you just what wandering does he want? wandering the streets a lone man against the world just <laughs> trying running up to strangers shaking them being like what is sexy what i love is he can't just like think like hey this person i love is sexy and it's fine yeah well he's just this whole article is telling on yourself super hard, but we'll get to it. Keep <laughs> so, going. So he wants to figure it out. He writes, in an age of relativistic thinking and or postmodern blah, 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 that erode universal norms and <laughs> so wait, notions wait. of truth. Postmodernity destroyed sexy. That's why Justin Timberlake had to bring it back was because relativism and postmodernity <laughs> destroyed the archetypal <laughs> scale of human sexuality. This man just, he is Ron Swanson. He has the 10 point scale. <laughs> I'm so curious what his Steffi McGrath is in that in that equation. If it's not actually Steffi McGrath, I'm upset. <laughs> what I love is he is. I mean, and we will get into it, but he essentially is arguing for a an objective platonic order of sexy. God, that's so upsetting. <laughs> there are those that argue because a man perceives them as sexy, they are sexy, and we should not judge. But are they actually sexy? <laughs> <laughs> he is a, you know what he's asking? He is asking the age old question michael that question is hot or not <laughs> yes this man at, totally operates at the wokeness <laughs> level of like a college fraternity like, it's just... when i was in high school this there was a tv show i was like 14 or 15 on like abc called hot or not and this is fucking true they would have people of both sexes but most mostly women and they would come out there in bathing suits and the judges would rank their sexiness on a numerical scale. And one of the judges famously at the time had a laser pointer. And he would use the laser pointer and be like, ah, oh, you got some cellulite there. Oh, you know, you're, you know, you're a little soft here. Is that not normal bedroom <laughs> behavior? And Mark Lunderbaugh saw that question. I'm about getting rid of that laser pointer. <laughs> I just wish he would stop using it on me. <laughs> Mark Lederbach, I think, saw this this and wondered, like, can I make this more Jesus-y? Yeah, well, no, he saw that and he goes, this this is the return to classical idealism that we needed. Like, this, <laughs> we are finally getting back to the way that God intended with laser pointers. It is, it is really distressing. So, then he complains about the porniness of modern-day culture, blah, blah, blah. You get it. Here's where things take a turn that I think our listeners will think is interesting. He basically makes an argument. He uses a, a, a guy from Wheaton, which is another Christian school, to make an argument that men, and he only says men, are neurologically changed when they encounter pornography. 
So this is something you've heard before. Yeah, no, this is, I definitely heard this in high school, this idea that like porn will rewire your brain. It'll, you know, if you watch too much of it, you're not going to be able to like actually have sex with a woman because you're going to be so Mm -hmm. like fucked up from all the porn that you watch. Here's the thing. If you watch porn, you won't be able to have sex with a human woman. You'll only be able to have sex with your iPad. This is true. Yes. Uh, Thank God for that charging port. (laughs) (laughs) And so he writes, repeated exposure to pornography creates a one-way neurological superhighway. (laughs) (laughs) It's just called your browser history, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Where a man's mental life is over-sexualized and narrowed. Okay, so like, here's what what I'm going to say. One, all this like brain chemistry shit is hilarious in the context of a purity culture that has done more to destroy healthy sexuality (laughs) in people than like anything else. Uh, But I'm not saying that like viewing tons of porn is good for you. Like that should be nobody's primary like expression of sexuality. Yeah, I'm like, listen, I'm not here to say that like, 14-year-olds watching gangbangs is helpful, but this guy's one-way neurological superhighway is just a way it's to kink-shame you. It's, it's a purity culture of the mind. It's like a yes. V-card for your brain. Like Now your brain's <laughs> the chewed-up gum. It is just another level of way to shame people. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. Well done. While scripture, he writes, does not spell out the de- all the details of sexuality, a biblical view of sex and sexuality helps us understand that sexual allure is not something relative to individual perception, but incorporates both spiritual and physical aspects of human nature. He is definitely arguing for a 10 is empirically a 10. <laughs> well, and he's also he's also arguing that it's not his scale, it's God's. Like, yeah. God is the ultimate hot or not. Like, it's God's laser it's pointer God's that you have to worry about. <laughs> That's what the flames in Pentecost were. <laughs> they were rankings of how hot these people were. I do not want to know Jesus's thoughts on my appearance. <laughs> I would be really concerned. Jesus also wasn't hot. I know that we've talked about this before, but keep going. All right. Uh, he briefly mentions Bonhoeffer. I am hereby banning all mentions of Bonhoeffer forever. Yeah, until you've been arrested for your attempt, your attempt to assassinate Trump. Uh, you don't get to quote Bonhoeffer. If you are not actually a member of Antifa, yeah. you do not get to quote Bonhoeffer. Yeah, these fucking right-wing fucks quoting the original Antifa pastor. Like, fuck off. It's so annoying. So he lays out nine principles, nine biblical principles shaping sexiness. <laughs> shaping. Shaping is doing a lot of work <laughs> in that sense. Like, We're not going to read all of them. because Jesus somebody... is my diet plan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because some of them are just boring. His first is a doozy. Hit me. Number one, the difference between male and female is sexy. Oh, fuck you. Fuck off. Yeah. This like het shit is the definition for sexy. Fuck off. No. He like does. And so like, first of all, he is doing this intentionally because we're going to get into that. But like, he is just writing out all gay people, obviously. Anybody with any kind of like, and not to mention even people who kind of don't conform necessarily to some gender expectations. Sure. And he just doesn't understand gender. He writes, 
He is male and has male parts and ought to behave a certain way because God made him a man and desired for him to reflect his image as a male and the gave and then gave instructions about how to function as a male. Oh my god. Shut the fuck up. Gender this very much like the the repetition of male in that is yep. very like how incels talk about women like yep. the female. Like it's it's really that is one of the more genuinely creepy. Things. It's unnerving. Like and he ought to behave a certain way because God made him a man. Mm -hmm. It's also purely circular. Like it, it's a tot, it's a tautological, but it also doesn't understand what gender is. Yeah. It, <laughs> like, well, it, it's, it's not a lack of understanding. It's an intentional refutation. Right. That's it, true. It, it is an absolute, it's applying a shitty gender essentialism that like not only can male and female be sexy. The only <laughs> thing that is sexy is not men or women, but only the difference between them. Like the Which, by the by, even if you... Listen, we're not saying this is acceptable. But even if you are not affirming of LGBTQ stuff, you can't acknowledge that, like, homoeroticism is a thing. <laughs> exists. Like, but I'm like, sorry, Brad Pitt exists. Okay, and I will no, not I pretend mean, I he think doesn't. When we start the Patreon for this podcast, yes. our top tier is going to be kidnapping Mark Lederbach, <laughs> strapping him... To in a Clockwork Orange style uh, chair, and then forcing him to watch "Call Me by Your Name" on repeat until he admits that gay is fucking sexy. That is where this pod is going. That is the natural endpoint. And that's how we get number one on Patreon. It's just fucking stupid. It's I mean, so dumb. He really needs to have a talk with like high school me who fell in love with at least four lesbians before I figured my shit out. Like, come on. <laughs> His two is just a restatement of one. He says the complementarity of maleness and femaleness is sexy, fuck which is just you. that pussy good though. Like fuck off, well, man. Well, no, and it's, it's if the original point is the difference between men and women is the only place sexiness can exist. Horrifying. Then the second point is sexiness can only exist when those differences are in their respective roles. Like complementarianism, right. as we have talked about many times before, fucking evil facilitates abuse. Totally. Yeah. Has no place. Um, in a modern understanding of faith. It, but yes, you're right. It's also like he needed nine points. <laughs> it really should have been 69 points. Nice. <laughs> I'm going to skip ahead. Number five. God designed the spiritual part of ourselves to be sexy. <sighs> uh, thus, because this... godliness, he writes, thus because godliness is of such great value, then we ought to find the expression of godliness in and through gender appropriate behavior to be very sexy indeed. Oh, there are a few things more upsetting to me than the term gender-appropriate behavior. You know what gets Mark Lederbach off? Gender-appropriate behavior. Oh, God, that that's like some trad shit. Yeah, like, that, hardcore. No, this guy is definitely into some trad wife stuff. He's managing to find a lot of uh, creepy stuff because, again, he's just telling on himself. Well, it's just the lamest. Like, spiritual sexuality. Like, he just wants to be tantric guy. Like, he wants to be Bono. Wait, is he or, Christian no, he Sting? He, he's Christian Sting. <laughs> uh, God, he, he, number six. We're going to move on. God designed marriage to be sexy. Put simply, adultery and adulterous behavior is never sexy. Yes, yeah. that's why John Hamm doesn't have a career. Yeah. Uh, that's why no one ever does it, because it's not sexy. 
Like, listen, like, it's not okay. Don't fucking cheat on your partners if you right, haven't. Of like, course you not. Know, obviously, like, be respectful of the like confines you guys create for each other. Yeah. But also, like, fuck you. But fuck off. Like, the idea that sexy isn't just a neutral idea, and well, that some things can be sexy that maybe you shouldn't do. And it's just defining sexy as morality. Right. Like, adultery is wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but adult the but then because the only way he can conceptualize this is through a spiritual lens sexiness has to become inextricably linked to morality sexiness is purity culture is kind of a hilarious yeah, it's, like adult take on a thing that we put on children this is just grown-up version of that yeah well it's it's even moving the goalposts further than purity culture which is stay within purity culture so that you will be sexy and acceptable as a mm-hmm. mate barf but now it is <laughs> The actual purity culture that in and of itself becomes the definition of sexiness. It's not even you. You don't even get to be sexy. You have to like be in this role to be sexy. Well, if you express your gender in a traditional way, oh, Mark God, Lederbach might you, find you man. sexy. So this is the last weird this is the last one. And it's a it's a doozy. God designed child bearing and raising to be sexy. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, that's what parents say. (laughs) Nothing hotter than a woman squeezing an entire other being out of her body. I just... That's why the doctor kicked me out of the the delivery room. Your wife wasn't pregnant. That's why he kicked you out. Your wife wasn't even there. God, that is... Okay. Did you have to drag the children into this, man? Yeah. Sexual intercourse is designed to lead to both procreation and a marital bond and companionship in the God-given task to fill the earth and subdue it. Evangelicals' obsession with becoming Uh, tradcaths just drives me up the wall. Well, and it's just like, bro, listen, one, fuck all of that, (laughs) just to start, terrible. But two, we done subdued the earth, dog. (laughs) It's on its last legs. We're in the final (laughs) count. We should probably stop subduing the earth at this point. There's no Amazon left. (laughs) Mark Lederbach is like like in his Mag Max gear driving over the parking lot that has become Brazil talking about subduing yeah. the last macaw. Exactly. Like, what the fuck is your problem, until, man? Until he's got the last macaw in a gimp outfit on his shoulder, he will not be satisfied. <laughs> whatever whatever exists without Mark Lederbach's knowledge exists without his permission. <laughs> oh, that is fucking is disgusting. Dancing. We're going to bring this home. If this verse is true, he's, it doesn't even matter, then it must be god's definition of what is sexy that is actually the most tantalizing and what god finds sexy (laughs) we ought also to find sexy (laughs) okay so he just made god the biggest perv god is daddy god you know what that turns god into god that turns god into like the anime illustrators that get off on their own artwork like like he is god just becomes a dude that designs his own fantasies at that point like why god is horny for his own creation which is maybe the most disgusting idea Uh, and we need to be michael be horny like i am horny (laughs) (laughs) we love because he first loved us am i right
So Michael, we're gonna move on to something sexier than sexy. Corporate law. <laughs> Giant corporation. It's interesting, you, you came to me the other day with this talking about Hobby Lobby, and obviously I had grown up going to Hobby Lobby. I would go with my mom a fair amount, we would get craft stuff for church, and for children's church, or for, v or for VBS, and all this, and I had kind of forgotten about Hobby Lobby. Like, it existed in my brain as this sort of, like, artifact of the 90s, but I kind of assumed that in a post-Amazon world, why would there be a Hobby Lobby anymore? Yeah, that it would go the way of all flesh. <laughs> Turns out, that's not the case. No, no. So yeah, Hobby Lobby, I agree, is it's very easy for it to fly under the radar, but it's actually pretty massive. Like, they have 900 stores. Oh my goodness. They average around $5 billion in sales a year. Wow. Uh, 43,000 employees, at, as best I could count, uh, individually going yeah. to all their stores mm -hmm. and asking them. Uh, and they've continued to grow in a post-Amazon world. Like, their last four years have had, like, regularly, like, 9% growth. 9% return is fucking insane. Yeah, that that's pretty massive expansion, especially when the industry around them is stagnating. Like, Michaels, yeah. for example, did, like, 0.4% growth. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a big company that has continued to do very, very well at a time when retail stores are increasingly not. And they're owned by a very interesting man. Okay. And we're going to be talking about him. The Dalsaki's guy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, his name is David Green. Okay. Uh, he has a personal net worth of around $8 billion. Sure, cool. Uh, his, him and his family own 100% of the company. His wife is the wow. creative director. His son is the president. His other sons tend to head up various other like offshoot corporations that they own. Like they have a mm -hmm. Bible publishing arm. And they are hyper-charismatic Christians. Cool. Always totally normal and good. Uh, I, I'm excited for our eventual episode about charismatics. It's coming. It, yeah, we keep circling it with stuff yeah. like this. And so Hobby Lobby has made national news this week because they had to return 11,000 artifacts. <laughs> Holy shit. You know that thing that uh, <laughs> craft chain supply yeah, stores are always investing 11, in? 11,000. Biblical antiquities. <laughs> yeah. Uh, archaeological artifacts to Egypt and Iraq that they had purchased, uh, some would say stole. I want to start, though, with a brief history of Hobby Lobby because they really are unique, I think, even amongst these like massive mm -hmm. businesses. Yeah. They donate half of their pre-tax earnings. Holy shit. To various evangelical institutions. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> like... And they pride themselves on being like different from your average mega box store. Okay. And I think some of this comes from David's past. His dad was a pastor. Oh, we have something in common. Yeah. I too am worth $8 billion. Uh, so, I, you know, I think it's clear from we've got two data points. Now we can draw a line. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's the son of a pastor is an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who's the son of the pastor is an asshole destroying the faith. Yeah, yeah, actively undermining the faith. You know, I too don't give my employees contraception. <laughs> Michael, it's never happening. God damn it. <laughs> I need it. Um, David was one of six. Okay. His dad pastored a church of around 35 people. Wow, this is in very real. A very tiny town amidst farmland in Oklahoma. Okay. And all of his siblings went on to either be pastors or pastors' wives. I wonder how that broke down. That is too real. That is <laughs> this feels kind of personal. Like, <laughs> am I rich and famous? Yeah, like... secretly. Uh 
So, like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> is really, I think, a good place to open this. Like, who is David Green? David Green is the guy that will, anytime you meet him, mm-hmm. will tell you the story of how he got started. Like, okay. every bio I could find of this dude talked about how he started. He took out a $600 loan, and he started a picture frame business, and he built it up, and he just kept building and kept growing until he had this massive thing. But he's just... So fucking proud mm-hmm. of how he started from nothing and he built it all up. Like he is the original Drake uh, in that he is going to incessantly repeat his fucking shitty narrative. Does that make Little Wayne a pastor? <laughs> no, it makes him a priest. Um, Aw, man. Uh, no, it, so he, here's what I'll say. It's a little bit interesting. He appears to have actually done that in a yeah. way that a lot of people like to claim this shit. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, oh, Apple got started out of a fucking garage. But a lot of these people came from means. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and he appeared to actually not have done that. Now, his great innovation was America Lights Tchotchkes. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was the thing that he rode to national prominence. I, I love that all of our biggest companies are just moving around trinkets. Yes, absolutely. Like it's, I mean, it's just, I mean, Amazon is just bigger Hobby Lobby. Totally. Uh, Hobby Lobby with a tech arm. Um, And I think the other thing that's really important to understand about David is that he is super into this idea that like, hey, this is just a family run business. Mm -hmm. We're really humble. We keep it really chill. We're not ostentatious with our wealth. He had this whole narrative about how like my children had to work when they were kids and they had to buy their own first cars. Uh, And you know, when they wanted to come work for the company, they had to apply like everyone else. Shut the fuck up. Fuck you. And, And I think what's amazing about that is that it comes from, I think, a an acknowledgement of mm-hmm. something true. Yeah, well, which of is that overwhelming wealth, historic generation mm-hmm. defining wealth yeah. will destroy your fucking soul. Uh and so they take that truth, which we have seen time and time again with these rich motherfuckers, they're not happy. No, of course it doesn't, not. It doesn't help them. It hurts them to be this way. Uh and then they try to like filter it through this like so I just didn't let them have any of it. And they had to work just like I did. And it's like, no, you actually can't save a kid that way. One, you're lying. Yeah, I mean, I was like, going to say, they all work for you and own big swaths yeah, of your multi-billion he, dollar company. They, they, they had to to work their way out of the mail room where I was paying them $150,000 an hour. <laughs> like, you know, it's... Yeah, I mean, they have equity. It doesn't fucking <laughs> matter if they spend six months there. They get to go home to the mansion. Exactly. So one, it's total bullshit. And two, if you actually cared about saving your children's souls... If if you actually yeah. cared about raising them in a biblically accurate way, you would do what Jesus fucking told you to do and give that shit away. Totally. Um, and there's ways which we'll get into which you could have avoided accruing $8 billion. Yeah. Nobody forced you to turn this into this massive thing. Like, that was a choice that you make. But, you know, wouldn't you know it, this guy's a prosperity gospel guy. Hey. So anytime he opens a fucking mouth, he's telling you, like, oh, it's not me that did any of this. Oh, I I, I haven't done any <laughs> of it. This is all God. God ordained that I exploit Chinese factory workers um, so that I could buy their, you know, products for pennies and then sell it for dollars to fucking middle America. Yeah, I, this is a. I mean, this is the same business model that like H and M does. Yeah, you pay you pay a Vietnamese child ten cents for a garment and you sell it for twenty dollars. This whole model doesn't work without a, an absurd level of exploitation and, and, and global capitalism. No, I mean it, it. Basically, this is a model that relies on contemporary slavery. There's and no other way to put it. No, I, that's absolutely accurate. And he says Christianity and capitalism need each other. You know, I, I've heard that before. <laughs> I have from Jesus's lips. <laughs> 
No, it's a it's a bold <laughs> stance for somebody who has dedicated his whole life by his own admission mm-hmm. to trying to share the gospel to say you, you know the gospel is self-sufficient for everything except it needs just one more element like it just needs a I'm little just, capitalism i'm happy to know that david green owns the cattle on a thousand hills you <laughs> yeah. know that that gives me a lot of comfort yeah and he brags about it like he there's an interview where he's walking through one of his own stores and he stops and it, to explain how a kitschy rooster ornament that he produced overseas for pennies on the dollar and then sold as part of an in-house brand of home accents with ceramic vases, bookend statuettes, and decorative mirrors. These are their highest grossing department. Wow. Uh, he also, this was a weird anecdote I'm just going to throw in because I think it's fucking upsetting. Yeah. Uh, they don't use barcodes at Hobby Lobby. They have on average 70,000 items in the store and they're pricing them by fucking hand. Oh my God. Yeah. That is like Chinese barcode torture. <laughs> problematic, problematic. <laughs> but no, it is, it is, it is the classic, like, you got to do this terrible thing because it builds character. He says that it, it helps the employees know the store, that In- they have to do this absurd menial task. Like uh, he- listening to him, here's the thing. He definitely thinks in his head. And he goes to sleep at night because he did absurd menial tasks when he was a kid. So he is a little different and a young man. He's a little different than most billionaires. So I want to point out here, in his head, though, he falls asleep to the lie that every single person that works in his store, the 40,000 people that work for him, will one day each be worth $8 billion. And I'm serious. Like, yeah. That is what he thinks. He thinks that is part of the path. And that he not, I think... Often when we talk about the nation of dispossessed millionaires, we talk about with poor people. Yeah. It also is true of rich people. They all think we could all be billionaires too. Yeah, they absolutely believe that if we were just more like them, then we could reach these heights. Or specifically with David Green, if they loved God and were as faithful with their resources Mm -hmm. as he has been, uh, then they would all be in the same place he is. But what I didn't fully understand about David Green and about Hobby Lobby. Like I knew they had been in national news for a couple of things. Mm -hmm. I know there's this crazy Indiana Jones style artifact story that we're going to get to. (laughs) What I didn't know is that they are arguably the single largest donator to evangelical causes in America. Wait, holy fuck. Are you kidding? Yeah. So they're they, number one. They're number one. They're arguably number one. I Should mean, we it's get hard them to, to say for sure. Podcast? Please fucking God. I don't want Audible to do it when I could have fucking Jesus money. Yeah. We've been turning down Audible for weeks. <laughs> yeah. Audible, stop calling me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Aud- Audible consent is real. It matters. <laughs> Audible, stop sending us credits for your crappy Obama eBooks. Audible, I do not need to read Steve Jobs' autobiography, okay? Audible, this is an anti-reading podcast, and you won't get around that by fucking trying to read to us, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) So we are talking that we know of hundreds of millions, but we're talking billions of dollars. Um, Like, they're a little cagey about how much they actually donate, but they have made a name for themselves uh, as one, the salvation of shitty Christian universities everywhere. And I'm just going to take you through this list. Just just to keep in mind, this is just getting started. Please. Uh, it began in 1999 when they purchased a VA hospital building in Little Rock, Arkansas, and then converted it into a church. That was small change. That was just 600K. That's so depressing. Our, uh, our, our country is getting rid of hospitals and putting up churches. <laughs> if you can't get medical if you can't get medical care, you might as well get last rites. Yeah, if, if you can't get medical care, you might as well get shitty faith healing. <laughs> 
He gave an Eric, former Ericsson plant in Lynchburg, Virginia, which he bought for $10.5 million to none other than Jerry Falwell Jr., Liberty University. Back Why are you on top, giving baby. Jerry Falwell Jr. anything? He yeah. owns half of Lynchburg. It's really, it's it's his whole thing. I don't I don't know. It's just what he does. He, he gave a 170-acre ranch property to fucking Rick Warren of Saddleback Church fame. Rick Warren is a millionaire of his own volition. The purpose-driven, he prayed at Obama's inauguration. Yes, which is why we will judge him forever. Yeah, no, That's again. That's the only thing I hold against it's, him. It's a billionaire giving things to millionaires. It's a really strange. He gave an entire campus to Zion Bible College. What? In 2007 at the cost of $16.5 million. Uh, then he, he picked up... <laughs> He picked up a 217 campus for a cool just 100k. 217 what campus? Acre campus. Okay. Uh, then spent nine million on renovations, and then held a contest on who to give it away to. All right, that and part Christian I like. universities across <laughs> okay. the country have been auditioning, and the, and the town because it's in New England and is fairly liberal is really upset about it because they're basically just having to watch which monstrous horrible thing <laughs> is going to get to move into the town. Okay. To be fair, that's I would be upset too. I would watch that reality TV show in a heartbeat though, where you've got the whole town oh, lined man. up as the audience. I have to be honest, that's a great fucking show. <laughs> and then you just get Fuck, all of these different now. pitches for like which brand of awful evangelical shit you're gonna do. And they're being evaluated on how awful they are. That's like five to just seven to seasons of content. That's really good. The biggest one when it came to, again, we're just talking university campuses. Right. Is he bailed out Oral Roberts University with a $70 million gift. And, and, well, Zach, and that was the start. They've given more money since of then. Course of course they have. So, Zach, you actually did a little research on Oral Roberts University because I didn't know anything about so, it. Oral Roberts is one of the most right, you know, conservative, traditional universities in the country. I don't want to go super... We could do an entire episode and probably will do an entire episode. Yeah. It kind of was liberty before liberty, honestly. And this story will seem familiar to you. You know, history doesn't repeat itself at rhymes. But it was founded by a guy in the 40s by the name of Oral Roberts. And yes, that's a funny name. <laughs> Take a moment. <laughs> Laugh to yourself. That. Oral sex. It's funny. He named his kid Anal Roberts. <laughs> So what you need that's what you need to know for now. But in 2007, a scandal erupted. So Oral's son Richard Roberts inherited the again, university the once fucking again. The fail sons ride again. They won't this it truly is the American story. So Richard I mean, you said you quoted MLK last week that like Sunday morning is the most segregated mm. time in America. Uh, I'm going to riff on that and say that like Christian educational institutions are the most nepotistic institutions in America. I, you know, the time I have spent around them, I have never seen institutions that care that care less about skill and more about who you who you are related to. Yeah. And by the way, I have worked in Hollywood. <laughs> Just okay, as well a busboy, but still yeah. I have worked in Hollywood. I'm in the pictures. His son, Richard Roberts, inherits the university. And in 2007, a scandal erupted that was just like, oh, yeah, right, that was very similar to the stuff we saw with Jerry Falwell Jr. Yeah, Jerry Falwell Jr., famously pool boy, Florida. Go back to our first episode if you want a little update on how that went down. Tell me about Richard Roberts. So Richard Roberts, a legend. Also, he did actually kind of name his kid, like, Dick Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> I so respect that Oral Roberts' kid is Dick Roberts. <laughs> That's so good. There are allegations that Richard used school financing and students to campaign for the Republican mayor of Tulsa, Oklahoma, oh, which That's, is illegal. Yeah, because they're a nonprofit. Yep. And so you can't do that. 
uh, their allegations of their being a, them using the school jet for personal purposes. Of course. Like their daughter going on spring break, which sounds very similar oh, to the Falwell. Yeah. It gets, but it gets juicier. Lindsay Roberts, his wife, was accused of spending university funds on clothes, awarding non-academic scholarships to the children of family friends, and sending text messages on university-issued cell phones to underage males. Oh, no. Yeah. Jeez, how? At every turn, we cannot escape <laughs> fucking pedophilia. It is. I swear there is something inevitable about powerful people and pedophilia. Like, the, the handful that aren't must actively fight against it yeah, every yeah, day, yeah. the same way Mark Lederbach fights against pornography. <laughs> I, 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 and they lose that fight. I mean, seriously, though. Like, it feels like every time you look, you don't even have to investigate hard. It's just like, oh... It also alleges that she fired a maintenance, a longtime maintenance employee, was fired to give the job to an underage male friend of Lindsay Roberts. So it's falling apart. These people have to step down. Mm -hmm. Voted no confidence, blah, blah, blah. They're out. By the way, I want to say, though, no one went to jail. And most of these things got either thrown out or settled out of court. So what happens is the places in disarray, Hobby Lobby essentially plows... Tens of millions, 70 million initially, million cents, and they more or less bought the university on the cheap. And to this day, uh, still run it. They still run it. Yeah, I think one of uh, one of one of Green's kids. Green's is, kids is the board, chairman of the board of directors. So he gives all this money, right? And you might be thinking to yourself, like, oh, a billionaire who gives away half of his pre-tax mm-hmm. revenue earnings, like, oh, maybe there is a guy that is doing some good. Obviously. Clearly, there are no ethical billionaires. They shouldn't exist. Right. Uh, But, like, maybe this is a different mold. Interestingly, Green makes a distinction in how he donates his money. Okay. Between good causes, like curing disease or feeding people, Uh... and great causes, which will echo beyond our temporal existence. True, Jesus never fed people. Yeah. He thought, <laughs> that, he thought that was some cuck shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, Jesus said, uh, you 5,000 people should have gotten some fucking chicken nuggets. Let's ride. Um, yeah, so a guy with billions, but he is and he's donating at the bare minimum hundreds of millions, mm-hmm. but he is specifically not affecting anyone's material conditions with this money. He does not give a fuck if people are clothed or fed or have homes. Like this is such, all of this. This is such Protestant gifting. This is this is purely ideological gifting. This idea that mm. like the only thing that he can do that matters is has to do with like people's souls. That's all he cares about. And he says, I want to know that I have affected people for eternity. I believe I am. I believe once someone knows Christ as their personal savior, I've affected eternity. I matter 10 billion years from now. Oh. Yeah. That definitely is the message of the gospel. Yeah. Is and how much you matter. How much you're going to matter 10 billion years from now. And so it I, I remember also- that part in Revelation where all the angels <laughs> gathered around David Green. <laughs> Lifted him up, placed him on the throne. Jesus, like you know, bent over as a footstool. David Green, just like sipping a pina colada, being like, "This is about what I expected." And and John John of Patmos relaying us that information. It's it's cool to see. It's it's uh it's nice to see biblical revelation coming true in our time. You know, (laughs) how many times does he say "I" in that sentence? (laughs) Like it's just so clear what this is about. Like he has turned. 
ostensibly a good purpose right if you accept these theories that like sharing the gospel mm-hmm. could m- matter to people and he's turned it into a personal way to aggrandize himself not just in this life but in the next which is to say he is actually jeffrey epstein in this moment like, that's so both true of these men deeply concerned with their own immortality like <laughs> epstein wanted to inseminate all of america i guess uh, as well as many other countries, uh, and was working on trying to get mm-hmm. his seed, you know, programmed That's a real thing. In. He was working on with, like, MIT scientists. Yeah, he, he, he we can't transform into an Epstein no. podcast because we will never escape. But... <laughs> This, that's what this guy's doing spiritually. Totally. Like, and he has the power to do so much actual good in the world. I know. But instead, he is solely concerned with pushing this ideological, quote-unquote, theological mission. And we see that really clearly because up to this point, we've talked about Christian charities. Mm-hmm. But something that they do a lot of but are a lot quieter about okay. is political donations. Ding, 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 ding. Follow the money. Yeah. And so they'll they'll happily laud their donation to Liberty University, a terrible place full of garbage <laughs> Can education. Can you imagine that, lauding yeah. that? Being like, <laughs> yeah. look at this good thing I did. I shot a dude, the homeless man, in the face. Isn't <laughs> yeah. that cool? Yeah. Look at how the blood splattered. I'm really <laughs> like, proud of it. Like it's twenty anyway. feet. That's a record. Uh, <laughs> Dexter, De- Dexter would be so yeah. proud. They they should put me on as a cameo, frankly. Uh, <laughs> So, other than being proud of his bum fights, he also quietly <laughs> funds a lot of political actions that get real creepy real fast. And Salon reported Man. on this that they had donated hundreds of millions of dollars to these like Christian action committees uh-huh. that were essentially working to allow businesses to deny service to gay and lesbian people. Ew. Yeah, gay people don't have it hard enough in this country. And I think it's actually really important because you could believe that this was a misguided guy who was trying to evangelize, yeah. mm-hmm. trying to share the gospel. And But now we're beginning to see more clearly this was not about trying to share something that he has found personally meaningful with the world. This is about trying to control the laws of a country to better fit his ideals. Mm. And it almost worked. Thankfully, that law was thrown out by the governor, but they spent a lot of money on it and it almost went through. They also helped fund, uh, you know, the successful restriction of gay marriage in California um, before the Supreme Court uh, fixed that one. Um, The last thing they fixed before their slow descent to fascism. Um, Well, uh, it didn't involve money, so they they, they really didn't care. Um, The gays throw nice weddings. It's good for our tax base. before we get into the specific issues with, you know, birth control and the epic of Gilgamesh, which is where this is going, <laughs> we should maybe talk a little bit about how good they are to their employees. You have this $8 billion. You know how you could not have it? You could spend $25 an hour paying everybody. Yeah, many, you could triple, quadruple, 10 times the salaries of your mm-hmm. employees and never miss it. But instead, what Hobby Lobby has done is they've been sort of in the news lately because they're fighting back against this whole corona scare. They're not going to kowtow to these liberal institutions trying to tell them they have to close. (sighs) They initially (laughs) released a thing when the stay-at-home orders started going Mm -hmm. out. They put out a letter saying they were not going to close, in part because... um, They get all their news from Donald Trump. We know. We went over this. David's wife, Mm -hmm. Barbara, had been praying about it. And I read the memo, and I got to say, she doesn't say, like, I prayed and God said, keep it open. But she says, like, I prayed and God said, like, steady on. You know, he he will guide us and guard us and and groom us. That was the specific three Gs. No, don't say that word. 
I didn't know God was that into like bad alliteration. Mark Lederbach though says we should like God groom us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, God has clearly been grooming us. But yeah, groom us. Uh, I also want to take a brief side note here. One of the most insightful things my dad ever said is that like Christians love to use the I prayed about it to cover for all manner. Of oh evil. yeah, it, this well, is like it's... a classic Christian thing, like. You know, I, listen, I want to embezzle money from my company and run away with my mistress. I prayed about it. And so, therefore, I think God says I should do it. I prayed about it. Sometimes it's like I prayed about it and I felt like God moved me to do it. Sometimes it's I prayed about it and God didn't say no. Right. So, you like, know, you know, like, come on. <laughs> he he was using his still small voice. So I don't think it really counts. <laughs> like, look, look, I, I, I left out the wool and I didn't check on it later. So I think it was fine. Yeah, uh, I I prayed about it and God directly contradicted all of uh, what he communicated to us in scripture. So that's cool, right? Then <laughs> they kept their stores open in defiance of stay at home orders, mm-hmm. declaring themselves essential because they, they were selling, wait for it, back to school supplies, which is oh, especially I rich. was hoping it was like masks <laughs> or like they had... Dis- gotten somehow figured out a way to order ventilators yeah they they stayed open to sell back to school supplies which is funny because schools are fucking closed <laughs> like because here in california at least there is no return date no one is going back to school school sucks Woo! <laughs> this is the best part of corona it's um, like... so on that incredibly flimsy uh Amazing. defense which they sent out memos to their managers mm-hmm. like instructing them how to argue with police on their behalf. Uh, police, as it turns <laughs> out, in at least a few locations, not fucking around with this, shut them down. Uh, okay. And they did eventually close all their stores. Mm-hmm. When they did that. Okay. They, they, they did something that I think, honestly, in the shitty standards that we have <laughs> you know, held for American businesses, they were like, hey, we're going to give you some emergency pay. Okay. And I read that initially, and I was like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm couple addendums oh no one you have to start by using all of your sick leave sick leave paid time off and vacation time ew so they just drain that for they all their employees they drain that for every single employee Ugh. and then you get 75 percent emergency pay so it's not your full pay rate 75 percent. okay which is bad sure but like hey that's something and i the first time I read it, I ended there and was like, right. okay, that's like shitty. But honestly, mm. there are so many places that are so much shittier right. that like maybe it's not even worth bringing up because like the standards are so fucking rock bottom low in this godforsaken country. Uh, but wait, that 75% emergency pay lasts two weeks. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. No, fuck you. That doesn't mean shit. So you are- It's like a week and a half of people pay. That's that all are, you do. It's just a week and a half of pay, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like it is- really really gross and then they started secretly reopening their stores last week and they specifically didn't change hours listed online or announce it they just said hey we're just going to start doing it and there are honestly too many reports that are Mm -hmm. genuinely too sad to get back into but there were a lot of interviews with hobby lobby employees being like we don't have masks we were told we can't wear them because it's it would freak out customers. We don't have adequate cleaning supplies. One of them, you know, speaking anonymously, said that they themselves called in a report to the police department to have them oh come gosh. shut them down um, because that was the only thing they could do that they thought would you know protect the safety of their coworkers and, and visitors. You know, it's great when you're calling the cops on yourself. Yeah. yeah so at every that. turn, at every turn, I think I think this is the classic thing, and, and I mean a lot of companies do this of like we purport to have morals, but we treat our company or our employees like shit. Yeah. And I the fucking hate it. The first question of any company is how good are you to your people? 
and, and this is not great. One of the things that they pride themselves on is having a median pay rate that's higher than average. They've been raising it. I saw an article in 2017 saying, oh, we've been raising it for the past nine years. Yeah. And they said like, oh, our starting salary is 15.97. And like- Sure, that's higher than Amazon right now. That's higher than Amazon. That's higher than a lot of these like bigger box stores. Like mm -hmm. I read it and I was like, okay, like maybe they're getting that thing right. Like quick side note. Okay. That pay rate only exists for their full-time employees. And as it turns out- There we go. Full-time employment is a little hard to come by at Hobby Lobby. Wouldn't you know it? So none of their cashiers are eligible for full-time work. And well, their starting salary whatever they. Yeah. is like 10 and change. Well, then, ah. You have, to, you have to sort of get into one of the departments, like floral or something, which can be a hotly contested thing. I was reading, you know, uh, an online forum about it. And they are like, how do I get full-time work? And the answers range anywhere from like, hang out for you know six months to several years mm -hmm. yeah you know put in your dues do everything right and then maybe you can get to the the, the 1575 rate and actual full-time employment it's again fucking... we've talked about this before i'm not saying part-time work should be abolished but the way that part-time work is uh freed from any sort of like benefits analysis basically like, regulation yeah you yeah know, let's you, be honest that like just because they can choose to work you little enough that they don't have to give you any of those added benefits. Well, it's I mean, just poverty. And, like, and there's no like it's it's obviously what like they can just hire two people for twenty hours a week, get the same amount of of work as they would get of one person for forty hours a week, and pay them less because yeah. they're not on the hook for benefits. Like it's just it's an obvious. It's not even a loophole. It's just an obvious way to avoid what should be the law. But yeah, it was put in, in the there same because... way that we see like Uber, you know, mm -hmm. trying to classify everyone as 1099 so right. they can avoid all this shit. Like it's just a continued obfuscation of any sort of responsibility for their. And it's employees. the kind of thing when you have a bunch of people in Congress and that rule us that like have interests in businesses that own stocks that own apartment buildings in our fucking city. That's what when you have the corporate elite and. The government becoming one this is what you end up with uh, yeah they're they're the same picture now we get to what is maybe this man's uh, greatest project to date? David Green and his son, Stephen, had a vision. <laughs> they had a vision to start a museum. Okay. And that museum was going to be about the Bible. <laughs> In a way, Michael, aren't all museums about the Bible, though? Yeah. So maybe the best way to intro this is to start with the big news story, which is that they had to return a $1.6 million Gilgamesh Dream Tablet, which <laughs> oh, is already just a dope name, uh, but that they had purchased. As it turns out, uh, they had maybe been lied to about the provenance of it oh, wow. without getting into a lot of overly complicated mm -hmm. uh, you know, laws. We basically decided in 1990 that it was no longer uh, okay for us to pillage you know, countries for their antiquities anymore. So, like, that became bad in 1990. <laughs> <laughs> Someone tell the British Museum. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, but in 1990, we were like, okay, if it's not already here, grandfather clause, anything you were able to smuggle out of there before that is fine. That, but anything after that, not okay. 
And so for this museum, and we'll get to the museum, Mm -hmm. uh, they had been purchasing all these antiquities. As it turns out, they had been lied to a little bit about where this one came from. And so they sued the auction house that sold it to them at private auction, uh, Christie's, which is like one of the biggest auction houses. And they came up with this narrative of like, oh, woe is us. We were just the well-intentioned people trying to, you know, purchase these things for our Bible museum. And they lied to us. And this has been a very calculated campaign in just the past few weeks that like, we are the victims here. Wouldn't you know it, the story is a little more complicated. So with that said, I'm going to take you back to 2009. All right. In I'm in college. I'm hanging out. Yeah, I'm wearing yeah. a dope necklace. You are not wearing a dope no, necklace. No, I was that. <laughs> I'm wearing a terrible necklace. <laughs> <laughs> but you're feeling good about it, and that's mm-hmm. what matters. Mm-hmm. In 2009, Dave Green and Steve Green, his son, they owned exactly zero biblical antiquities. What a fucking loser. What a chump. Yeah, I'm, just, a- I'm sitting here neck rubbing the grail as we speak. What a lame o, right? <laughs> like, yeah, we're just we're just drinking our like uh, crappy beer out of our chalice. I'm drinking kombucha out of a chalice. <laughs> kombucha. Uh, I I have a crazy straw for mine, and that crazy straw was carved from the bones of a saint. If you're not drinking a crazy straw out of the shriveled penis of a saint, though, are you really even drinking? I mean, it would have to be a pretty special penis to get as crazy as I need it to be. <laughs> okay. Well, how do you think he became a saint? <laughs> So the Green family, the Hobby Lobby family, they didn't originally intend to build a museum. (laughs) They didn't give a shit about biblical artifacts. But then they met a man by the name of Johnny Shipman, (laughs) who was described in this article as an eccentric Dallas businessman. Uh, I don't ever want to be known as a businessman, but if I ever had to do any sort of businessy shit, I would definitely want to be known as an eccentric Dallas businessman. I mean, being known as eccentric is cool. Yeah. So this guy was known for walking around town in a full-length fur coat and a, <laughs> and a big-ass revolver. Uh, but he had a calling. You see, he dealt in rare books. Um, but he felt call, called to do something greater than that. He wanted to build a national bible museum he had a dream sir yeah he he was he was a man with a pistol a fur coat and a dream and he was able to enlist the help Mm -hmm. of the greens to make this dream a reality in 2009 as mentioned the greens had zero biblical antiquities again total bitches in 2010 they had thirty thousand. Oh wow yes they glow up fast yes uh so they bought a lot of shit I suppose you would. At this point, it's unclear how many items that they have, but it is probably Mm -hmm. the largest private collection of these kind of antiquities anywhere. Ew. Yeah. No, I mean, they just just bought all of it, basically. Dead Sea Scroll fragments, Mm -hmm. which are sort of... I don't even want to get into, like, why that matters, but they're really fucking old, and people think they proved the Bible's real. Uh, And they had (laughs) this, you know, Gilgamesh text that they were Mm -hmm. very proud of. Uh, But as it turns out, there was maybe another motivation for this, because... (laughs) Isn't there always? Without knowing exactly what happened, this guy, Johnny Shipman, whose idea it was, is no longer a part of this. Listen, Johnny Shipman, you can't keep him down. Yeah. He's a rambler. He's, he's got to be rooting, tooting, and shooting. Uh, he's got to be <laughs> out there in the world. Uh, so he's been pretty honest about the fact that he pitched them less on the idea of doing this like great grand biblical yeah. enterprise, you know, a museum to prove the Bible is true, mm-hmm. per se. Uh, and more that like, this is going to be a good financial investment for you. Oh, interesting. Because it turns out antiquities, 
can be pretty easy to buy cheap, especially if you're not too picky. Right. But they can be appraised really high for tax purposes. And I honestly am not billionaire smart when it comes to money. Like I I can sometimes read a story and tell you like why Mm -hmm. it's icky. But I don't super know how I assume something about the nonprofit that they created for this. But essentially, one, antiquities pretty much always rise in value. And two, you can kind of say they're as expensive as you want them to be for tax purposes. This was good for them. Yeah. Before you even get to the actual point of it, this was good for Without them. being, again, totally an expert, the same thing is true in the fine arts world as well. Yeah, if you, if you ever look at a piece of art that sells for some absurd, you know, mm-hmm. uh, amount of money and you're just like, what the fuck, that's these stupid people. I was like, no, they're not stupid. They just, this, this is an easier way to move money around for them, particularly if that money has slightly icky origins. So when you buy this many antiquities, yes. you create a bit of a market for selling you bullshit (laughs) antiquities. The other thing that you created a market for is smuggled out antiquities. Ah. And as much as they would like to claim that they were just swindled and may have been in the case of this Gilgamesh test that they paid a lot of money for. Yeah, I mean, they uh, bought it through Christie's. They are having to pay a $3 million fine Whoa. uh, for smuggling in antiquities labeled as uh, tile samples. When in (laughs) fact, they were archeological tiles uh, so they brought them in. They they claimed that it was like three hundred tiles at a dollar a piece. It was right. actually three hundred like tiles, but tiles that had some sort of archaeological significance, mm-hmm. and it was valued around ninety thousand dollars. Oh, and that's just one example. Uh, another former associate said that he smuggled a, a, a biblical document in his suitcase out of this and we need to keep in mind stop it all of this shit is just looting impoverished war-torn countries of their cultural history and artifacts you know things that they can lay claim to that are culturally important yeah if not just things that have value that could generate in the future possible tourist revenue and more importantly they're just theirs yeah it's just theirs it's just theirs it doesn't matter it it has you can't just be fucking taking it but there was a lot of looting happening uh in situations like this where looting is happening people get hurt to, yes. to acquire those things. It, and is, then, it is crime. But then there was also just straight up uh, forgeries that they were buying on the regular. All right, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. I'm, I'm I, like, if you knowingly scammed Hobby Lobby, that's cool. Yeah, if you knowingly took David Green's money to give him bullshit, shout outs, game recognized game. We are we are here for the right kind of grift come on this on, podcast. Come on the podcast. Like, don't they're swindling you at every other turn. That's so right. like if you can find a way to get one back on a billionaire, you fucking take that <laughs> shot. Not literal shot. Satire, satire <laughs> on the game. Um, and so they're buying all of this mm, shit. And yeah. they and they are clearly deeply involved in just like they do not care about provenance. And this has been a scandal in the archaeological world for a decade. That's like, wild. Immediately, Patty Gerstenblith, oh, who was one the of the fu- countries... No, shut the fuck no, no, up. No, 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 no. No, she's one of the country's leading experts. And in summer of 2010, she told them, like, hey, this is going to be a problem for you. Right. Especially if you're trying to do something public with it. Mm-hmm. And they ignored her. Well, um, that has been Patty Gerstenblith's entire life. So this essentially became an antiquities farm for them because they would buy mm-hmm. from wherever, including eBay on some occasions. Then they had their sort of in-house academic institution, well, Scott Carroll, Roberts. who was the director of the Green Collection, and that he would evaluate his own collection himself or use students without training to do it. 
So like you've got like 20 year olds who are from bumfuck Oklahoma who are like handling what might be the like Solomon's thong and <laughs> deciding whether or not it's legitimate or not. Here's the thing I'm also briefly concerned about. What if they're like throwing out shit that was real that 20 year old morons didn't know about? Uh, even more interesting than that. They were destroying certain things. No, stop it! <laughs> they were destroy. They on a couple of occasions. They swear they're not doing this anymore. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They destroyed mummies because they were expecting to find papyrus inside no. the mummies. No, 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 no. So they are literally destroying. Oh, uh, hilariously, because this has been sort of a rolling scandal, it's popping back up now yeah, in national totally. news. But they have issued a lot of apologies for their behavior over this time. And so they, they said at the time, they're like, oh no, we're really sorry. You know, when, when you're so passionate like we are, we moved a little too fast. We we don't do that anymore. You know, normally in Silicon Valley, when they say move fast, break things, they don't literally mean destroying antiquities. Uh, so they have known forgeries at this point. The right. Dead Sea Scrolls that were the centerpiece of the yeah. exhibit are faked and they knew they were faked and they just didn't care. And, and I think that goes back <laughs> to the idea that like this is an ideological project. Right. So let's talk a little bit about what that museum is. So this museum, the Museum of the Bible. Museum of the Bible. One, it's, uh, it's fucking massive. It is... 430,000 square feet in or Washington, six, nine, D.C. <laughs> okay, all right. It costs $800 million to make happen. I don't know how much museums cost. It, it puts it up in the national like, sure. context. Like, and it's, it's in D.C., right? It's in D.C., mm-hmm. and it is ostensibly all about... They claim that it has no, uh, you know, no political bent to right. it, no theological convictions. It's just trying to tell the story, baby, the story of the Bible. Uh, interestingly, though, when they first filed for their nonprofit status, they mm-hmm. had a slightly different mission statement, according to this filing, was to bring to life the living word of God and to tell its compelling story of preservation and to inspire confidence in the absolute authority and reliability of the Bible. Absolute authority. Yeah. I just, the phrasing of all of the, everything we've talked about today, it's always in that vein and, and so this is an ideological purpose right totally. like like this is the reason that they spent 800 million fucking dollars on this thing is because they need to make the claim that the bible is absolutely historically accurate 100 percent true and they are willing to devote a lot of resources to tell that story but sadly they're doing it with one stolen objects yeah it's not great for people who believe in the bible and two fake ones Lies. <laughs> lies that they were told were lies. It, it very much helps uh, non-Christians believe in the Bible when you lie to them. Yeah. So it's that's, just, that's it's my, very been my good. experience. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty impressive to devote that much money and resources to not even getting it right. Are they getting like, owned? I can't decide. Uh, well, I mean, they haven't really had to pay that much. They're paying $3 million. I, I think in the end they will win because the people that care about this kind of shit aren't going to care about any of this. In the end they'll win because they have the money. And, well, and they have the money to make themselves look like they're good guys. Like, again, the New York Times was uncritically mm-hmm. reporting on the fact that, like, oh, Christie's fucked them. Like, the auction house wow. fucked them. They, they sold them this false provenance. When in reality... 
like everyone in this world have been screaming for the long time. Yeah. Like, hey, you're doing this so badly, you're making a market of bullshit. Yeah, I mean, you're springing you, up just to peddle you more bullshit. If you destroy mummy, you should not be allowed to buy antiquities. Yeah, that that seems uh, relatively reasonable. Uh, so yeah, that's the Museum of the Bible, a a thing built on thievery and lies. <laughs> Not unlike the <laughs> whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa, 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 hot takes for the pod. Who said that? Uh, Bella, don't talk like that. Bella's very upset right now. Uh, Bella, my uh, my pit bull is staring at me dolefully as she is wont to do. Well, because you told her to stay in place on her enormous suede bed. Yeah, and also I told her that we're going to the Museum of the Bible. <laughs> She's not super <laughs> into it. So, Zach, you did a little research on maybe, I'm, dare I say, the most important thing that Hobby Lobby has made the news for. So, I think this, probably the thing Hobby Lobby is most famous for overall. Is their amazing crafts. <laughs> and their great prices and, and friendly and faces. And friendly, smiling faces. And don't you dare insult their tchotchkes. I mean, I love a tchotchke. What am I doing? That does not have a barcode. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I love a tchotchke. Come on. Come on. And so... But in 2014, after the ACA was passed, they sued the government. Yeah, because one of the very limited good yes. things that the Affordable Care Act actually did <laughs> was, one, uh, say that, like, no, fuck you, you have to cover pre-existing conditions yep. uh, for employer-based health care, and two, that you have to provide access to, like, birth control services. Yes, yeah, so contraception mandate is part of it. If you provide health care to your employees and you most companies have of a certain size have to contraception had to be included in this yeah contraception and abortion specifically yes however some companies like hobby lobby and some smaller religious private companies gotten a snit about all of this yeah. and so they, they they sue about this saying they shouldn't have to provide contraception to their female employees yeah, specifically Spec the morning after pill and abortion yes and they're like no we shouldn't be allowed we shouldn't because have to do for that them Babies begin at conception. And you know how we feel about abortion. This is yeah, a pro-abortion podcast. Yeah, we believe uh, the shitty Christian standard abortions are not just good. They should be mandatory. <laughs> uh, if we can direct you back to episode 10, Abortion is the Fries and Coke, where we delve into yes. the history of the pro-life movement in the church, as well as take a look at a very silly Christian propaganda film called Unplanned. If you want to know more of our thoughts, go there. But, you know, just for the purposes of this, fuck all of that. <laughs> And so they, they go to state level and they're split decisions all the way up to the Supreme Court. Which yeah, is it's very getting bounced around. It's mm -hmm. going either way. It's it's kind of a fascinating case we don't have time to get into yeah. just in terms of like how it really seemed to depend on who was deciding. Yeah, and and some of the briefs, to just show you where they're coming from, are super creepy. The American Freedom Law Center's brief argues that birth control harms women because men will only want them, quote, for the satisfaction of their own desires. Oh, that is no. something they filed in a law in, in the court of law against women in having the Supreme Court. Yeah, <laughs> like, that was a brief for the Supreme Court being like, well, listen, if there isn't the threat of baby, then all men are going to care about is getting that pussy. <laughs> I, I'm convinced that Mark Lederbach wrote that. <laughs> Another brief argued that the contraception rule, quote, leads to the maximization of sexual activity. Which, first of God. all, that's my life goal. Yeah, fuck right? off. Yeah, like, come on. What are we even doing? Why is that wrong? And secondly, fuck you. 
Yeah, you, again, just telling on yourself. But also, this has been a real special episode for disgustingly creepy phrases. <laughs> right? Maximization of sexuality. <laughs> like, no, there's so many phrases that are just like, well, I, I'm, I'm never, I can't even masturbate yeah, I, again now. Well, like, I just feel like have that sex. specific one is like, that's 70s robe guy. Don't steal that from 70s robe guy and try to say <laughs> it's a bad thing. Like, 70s robe guy needs to be able to tell women that he is here to help the maximization of their sexuality. <laughs> That was a pretty good 70s rogue guy voice. Uh, It's where I live my life. (laughs) So the court actually, in their ruling, cited Jesuit moral manuals. What? And basically they use this to make the case that if you help somebody get contraception and you think that's evil, they're making you do something evil. Yeah, you are being forced to participate in sin. Good separation of church and state there. Yeah, and again, the subjectivity of like, well, if it's your religious principle, then we can't ask you to... uh, uh, go around that it's like well fucking slavery was a religious principle for tons of centuries and so basically the implications of this are enormous that a privately held company is not only a person but a person who has a quote-unquote right to exercise their religion on their employees yes uh specifically that corporations can have religious principles it is the first time the court has recognized a for-profit corporation's claim of religious belief fucking incredible but the Uh, force of law goes against the poor people because it always does always ginsburg basically said in her dissenting opinion that a corporation might object on religious grounds to paying for blood transfusions vaccines or antidepressants yep 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 scholars say the same logic could justify a right to privacy and a shield as a shield against regulatory scrutiny or a right to bear arms like there is this is this in, in continuing personhood of corporations is terrifying. And oh, and I actually wanted to tie this to the Bible Museum. You have to say the Bible is the ultimate authority because then you can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. I think that's it's really important to tie it to the Bible Museum because if they can say the Bible is the only authority, then they don't have to obey the law. Oh, 100%. The whole point of spending that $800 million was yeah. to say, this is authoritative. That's you right. You can, should, and dare we say must trust this. That's right. Because as we see, like, Hobby Lobby was able to make the Supreme Court bow to them. They yeah. changed the laws, not of their company or their religious institution, but of the land. That's right. And I think that really sort of gets to where we want to bring it home. Right? Yeah. That, like, if we go back to that opening sentence mm-hmm. where David Green talked about what he's about. I want to know that I have affected people for eternity. I believe I am. I believe that once someone knows Christ, I have affected eternity. I matter 10 billion years from now. This this is about a self-aggrandizing <sighs> yeah. desire, not just to make himself important, but to restructure the laws for all of us to fit his vision of America. Totally. And once you understand that, Mm-hmm. a lot of things start to like come into place like this isn't about sharing no the gospel this is about trying to take over school curriculums in oklahoma this is about buying christian educational institutions to bend them to your will that's right this is about political actions that keep gay people get from getting married and try to say that you don't even have to serve them in your fucking businesses this is about successfully making the supreme court do what they wanted like these people yeah. have reshaped america very successfully off fucking tchotchkes and exploitation they took hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars and they used it to make our country worse 
And they, they're fine with building that, that authority on a lie. They're fine with stealing goods from other countries and smuggling them out and naming them like tile samples. Like anything that they do to achieve that ideology is acceptable because, hey, man, it's all part of God's kingdom. He's a kingdom builder. He's not doing it for this world. He's doing it for the next one. It's, it's, it's a story as old as Constantine. Tip of a sword. We have you accused... Will be, you will bend the knee towards their vision of Christian imperialism. Yeah, and I just want to say they're winning. Like, oh, they're of course winning. they are. Like, and they've been winning for a long time. They've been winning, they're currently winning, and they're going to keep winning for the foreseeable future because they have the fucking money and they know how to use they've it. They've got the justices. Um, they won when Kennedy on the court. Yeah. How much easier would it be with Gorsuch and Rapey McGee up there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only when you have hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, are you above the law? You are the law. You get to become the law. You get to buy law. You get to own eight out. You get to you get to own the Supreme Court, and you get to buy eight mountains, and you get to and rope off forty-five thousand biblical antiquities, and deny people their like rights in the ACA. You are a, like a vassal lord yeah. of your own domain, and you make the law wherever you rule. And there is the government is gradually ceding more and more power to where your entire life is being determined by what this company decides is cool. Yeah. And maybe one day it's Nike, and maybe one day it's Hobby Lobby, but these companies are just creating vassal states within our country. Uh, and Hobby Lobby is just one example of it. just what one family with an ideology can accomplish. Like, we have accused a lot of people of being theocrats on this podcast. Totally. But this is by far the clearest example of, like, no, we will change your laws. They're definitely the most successful theocrats. Yeah, Absolutely. We never seed the final word on this podcast, so this is going to be a first for <laughs> shitty Christians. But I was reading a New Republic article and doing research for this, and it, it just honestly had a killer final paragraph where the Greens can say whatever they want. This is their nation, and we are their subjects. Damn. Fucking crafts, am I right? Goddamn bead-buying hippies ruin it for everyone. <laughs> this is definitely the story. Bruce, Bruce Ashford is right. The 60s did ruin this yep, country, just not right. in the way he realized. Yeah, exactly. If they, if only they'd gotten into macrame instead of beads. The second it location. All been different. The second location you weren't supposed to go to with the hippie was a Hobby Lobby. <laughs> uh, so we're running a little long. I think we're going to get out of here pretty quickly. Yes. But I did have one praise that I wanted to share with you this week. And that is that is a fellow podcast. Wow, this is the first time we've mentioned another pod. Yeah, no, definitely never done that before. <laughs> uh, it's maybe our first non-religious one, though. That's exciting. Uh, so this is a podcast called Kino Lefter. Okay. And it's a bunch of Canadian leftists, and they do a movie review podcast where they specifically take sort of a, a class and socialist examination of uh, movies, and they also do it in a funny way. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I, I will and check so them out. The first one I checked out was uh, Trolls World Tour. Um, and <laughs> the they movie, had, not the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had a incredible, just so many good long riffs about how the trolls world was structured <laughs> and the obfuscation <laughs> of labor. And they're just like having a lot of fun trying to decide if it's like you know utopian society mm. or what's going on here. And it's it's very silly, and then at times it's very serious. And they actually, I think, do some interesting media criticism along the way, as well as being really funny. While I was listening. I was laughing along to something and my wife came in to investigate what she described as, uh, you know, a concerning amount of cackling. <laughs> uh, so that's Kino Lefter. You can find them on Twitter and all the other things. But I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. Check them out. That's great. Mm -hmm. My name is Zachary Allard. You can find me on Twitter at Zachary underscore Allard. My name is Michael Tabor. You can find me at Michael Tabor. And you can follow our pod at, at shitty underscore pod. Uh, or reach out to us at crappychristians at gmail.com. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. If I could ask you to do two things this week, it's dismantle capitalism from the ground up and rate and review us on iTunes. This has been Shady Christians. Handling what might be Solomon's uh, something that holds your dick and balls. <laughs> uh, oh, frontispiece. Okay, handling like Solomon's frontispiece or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I don't think that's right. Is that right? Just say thong. All right, handling like Solomon's thong. <laughs>